The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 12. Suns Go Down. After getting a good look at that bloody door, Crown and I made our way back under the police tape and went to stand next to the ambulance again. The police won't tell me anything except for the fact that they didn't find a body inside, Crown said. I think they probably want me to print a story that gives the impression this is no big deal or something. The last thing they need right now is a mass panic over a potential violent criminal on the loose. Right now? I asked. What's special about right now? Oh, you know, Crown said. I mean, if all their resources are taken up dealing with an assault investigation, how are they going to have the manpower they need for the Daffodil Parade? I almost laughed. It's funny. There are moments in life where you look at yourself almost from an outsider's perspective, and that was one of them. I was standing there, thinking about my own reaction, and I felt equal parts impressed and disgusted at how little this was affecting me. It wasn't that I didn't care. I hoped that Brad would be alright. But the near-surreal calmness in my own voice was surprising. It seemed like I should be more afraid. It seemed like Crown should be more afraid. But I got the sense that this state of mind was kind of where he lived, that somehow this wasn't all that shocking for him. So what do you think happened? I asked. I don't know, he said. His car's gone. That almost suggests that he hurt himself and then drove off, maybe to the hospital. If I were the cops, I would have people driving up and down the highway looking for signs of a car that ran off the road. You know, like in case he tried to drive himself and passed out or something. Should we... should we suggest it? I asked. It sounded like a good idea, and if Brad was in trouble, time would be the enemy. I would have if I thought it would do any good, Crown said. So I called Sam and asked him and Lana to do it. I nodded, actually feeling better about that. At least we were doing what we could. Is there anything I can do to help? I asked. Actually, yes, if you're up for it, he said, checking something on his cell phone and then looking up again. It's not exactly glamorous, but it would be really useful to have someone driving around town looking for any signs of him. If he really did drive off, or even if he walked off... He could be pretty disoriented. He might not have gotten far. Yeah, I I can do that, I said. Great, thanks. You remember what he looks like, right? I do, I said. I hadn't really seen much of Brad in the last couple months, but I had a good enough memory to serve as a starting point at least. He'll be the one covered in blood, right? I said. Crown nodded grimly, and I felt a little bad for saying that. I hurried back to the apartment to get my car, and as I jogged, it occurred to me that I no longer felt afraid. 
Maybe it was a bad sign that I was afraid of ghosts, but not small-town violence. I didn't question it too much, though. I felt emboldened by Crown's request, and the adrenaline pickup was making me feel like I had some kind of superpower. Crown's response to all of this was interesting. He seemed to be running a full investigation alongside the police investigation, as if he had taken the role upon himself. It was one thing to gather facts for a news story, but... I think it's another thing entirely to go look for the victim yourself because you feel a responsibility to do so. I wondered if he had come here planning to take on the roles of reporter, investigator, and search and rescue, or if he thought he would be a basic grad student like the rest of us. As I arrived at the apartment and climbed into my car, I called Lana just to check to see where things were at. Hello? She said. Hey, it's Ivy. Hey, Ivy, if you're, if you're calling me, I assume you heard about Brad? Yeah, I replied. I started my car and flipped on my high beams. The mist reflected the light back so badly that I just turned them off again. I would just have to drive slow and careful. Hey, Crown wants me to help you look around, I said. Where are you so we don't overlap? Actually, she said. I had an idea, but I, I don't think it's a good idea for me to do it alone. I'll admit that this surprised me a little bit coming from Lana, but I didn't think any less of her or anything. What do you need? I asked. Well, you know, Brad works at the arcade on Amherst Street. It's, um, it's right next to the ice cream shop. I just thought that uh, maybe someone should go check and see if he's there. Or if he, I don't know, left anything behind. That was a good idea. I'll be right over, I said. Five minutes later, I pulled up alongside O'Mulligan's Arcade. O'Mulligan sounded like a made-up name, or at least like it had been chosen for specific marketing purposes. I would have expected those marketing purposes to involve an Irish pub, but this was a weird little coastal town. I ducked down, looking at the arcade through the car window. It was dark inside except for the ambient light of the machines themselves, as it should be. The arcade stayed open late, but certainly not all night. One thing was kind of weird, though. From a distance, it almost looked like the door was ajar. I rolled down the window trying to get a better view. Yeah, it definitely looked open. Lana wasn't there yet. I waited in the car for a grand total of about ten more seconds before getting out and stepping into the swirling mists of the sea. When it comes to fear, there's no middle ground for me. I'm either too terrified to move or so certain that I can handle myself that I would walk into a burning building if there was something interesting in the backyard. I walked up to the building and sure enough, the door opened easily. It was like someone had forgotten to lock up at all. The door was free to flop in the wind, and literally anyone could walk in off the street. Like me. Good thing there's probably not that much of value to steal from an arcade. It's not like I could walk off with a whole Galaga cabinet. I guess someone could steal some of the higher value prizes, but even that felt like a stretch. I stepped into the shadowy arcade. Only a few of the machines were still plugged in, but the ones that were plugged in were making quite the scene. Gold lights flashed on and off, running circles around mirrors and screens. 
A few competing strains of carnival music played in the background, and every once in a while, a man's muffled electronic voice called out something like, Right on, or You got this. From outside, the place had appeared reasonably well lit, but now that I was inside, I found that the light only hit certain pockets of the room. It was hard to see my own feet in front of me. I took a few more steps, keeping one hand partially in front of me so I didn't accidentally slam into a game cabinet or something. I thought about calling out to see if I got a response, but there was really no case to be made for doing that. If there was still an employee inside, I would eventually just find them by looking. If there was anyone else in here, I was pretty sure I didn't want them to find me. No need to tip them off by starting a solo game of Marco Polo in here. As I wandered through the dark arcade, looking for any sign of Brad, I found myself going over the possibilities in my head. Maybe he was dead. There had been a decent amount of blood on the door. But if he was dead... Why wasn't there a body? Why wasn't there a car, for that matter? Maybe he really had just driven himself away. If that was the case, it seemed weird that he would have just left the blood on the door. Crown's answer did seem the simplest. He had hurt himself and then tried to drive to the hospital. I hoped the poor guy was okay. I felt kind of bad for not making more of an effort to talk to him over the last couple months. To be honest, almost everything I knew about him came from that night at the party. I knew that he had excused himself to show Reed a piece of paper. I knew that he had been upset with Reed. I hadn't thought much of it at the time, but now I wondered what was on that piece of paper and why he had seemed so upset about it. Did it have anything to do with tonight's disappearance? It seemed like a long shot, but I found myself mulling it over anyway. Somewhere toward the back of the arcade, I heard a clinking noise. It was distinct not because it was the only noise in the store, but because it was so different from the others. The other sounds were all related to the arcade. Music meant to draw you in, or voices meant to spur you on. This sound was... small, by comparison. Just a gentle clinking, kind of like silverware hitting a plate. I started forward in what I hoped was the direction of the noise. My path led me past the front counter. There was a laptop sitting there, open, casting an eerie light on the back wall. It illuminated the prize shelf. Candy, yo-yos, cassette tapes and CDs, bubble machines, dolls, and robot fish. On a better night, I wouldn't mind spending a couple hours here. Everyone knows that any apartment can be improved by robotic fish. I paused at the counter. I wondered if the computer had belonged to Brad. Maybe there was something on there that could point to his location. I leaned over the computer and checked the screen. It was password protected, of course. The clinking sound continued, and I left the counter and walked toward the back of the store. There was something about that sound... It was elusive at first, hard to pinpoint a source. I followed it as best as I could to the far corner of the store. There was a small cabinet back there, practically hidden behind the others. It was Mrs. Pac-Man, and it had been unplugged along with most of the others. I could hear the clinking clearly now. It sounded like something was tapping on the inside of the cabinet. I drew closer, 
listening, looking for the source of the sound. The blank screen reflected the shape of me even in the darkness, and I leaned forward. That's when I saw the other shape reflected in the screen, the shadowy outline of a second figure. I would have liked to say that I spun around to look immediately. I would like to say that I found the courage, or at least the adrenaline, to whirl around and look it in the face. But I didn't. I just stood there, frozen, looking at the twin reflections, hoping that the second one would fade. There was something there with us in Burning Rock. Something living alongside. And that night, I couldn't bring myself to look at it. When it finally dissolved, I was left standing, staring at the cabinet, hoping it wouldn't come back. I finally turned around, thinking I might catch sight of it disappearing around the corner and perhaps salvage a shred of my dignity. I should have known better. It was long gone. It occurred to me then that everything was too quiet. The mechanical voices had stopped talking. The music had cut out. For a moment, I thought we had lost power, but the games were still blinking. Everything had just gone quiet. Even the clinking sound had stopped. So I just stood there, immersed in the heavy blanket of silence. The shrill ring of my phone cut through the darkness, and I jumped back so violently that the stupid thing fell out of my pocket and bounced off the game cabinet in front of me. I let out a disgusted sigh and picked up my phone. Hello? I said, taking a deep breath to steady myself. The sound of my own voice was enough to pull me immediately back into the comfort of reality. What was wrong with me? Should have faced that thing head on. I was met with a burst of static and then... It's Lana. Where are you? At the arcade, I replied. My voice pitched up awkwardly at the end, and I cringed. I know, I I see your car, but... Wait a minute, are you inside? How did you get inside, Ivy? Lana scolded. I was about to tell her that the door had been open, but she cut me off. Ivy, look, you gotta get out here. She sounded truly scared. Not just ghost movie afraid. What if Brad was attacked? What if that person is still around? My heart was already beating pretty hard, and now I could hear it all the way up in my ears. Tonight was turning into a big, mess-you-up sort of cocktail of every kind of fear I could imagine. There was fear of demons, fear of the dark, fear of actual physical violence from actual physical humans, all rolled into one. Any sense of bravery I had felt earlier tonight was long gone. I very much wanted to get out now. I took a shortcut, squeezing between a couple of game cabinets, and made my way toward the front door. Lana was standing in front of her car, arms folded, looking both miserable and angry. Ivy, come on. You can't just run into arcades when... She frowned. How did you even get in there? Eh, The door was open when I got here, I shrugged. Maybe I was spooked, but she didn't need to know that I was spooked. I didn't really need to defend myself to Lana. She wasn't my mom, no matter how much she insisted on acting like it. If Brad was in here, I didn't want to run the risk of missing him, I said. 
Is recklessness a normal thing for you? Because while I admire it, you could really get yourself in trouble, she said. Yeah, but then I get the fun of getting myself back out of trouble. She didn't seem particularly amused, and I decided to give her a break. We had all had a long night. Some of us had had an extremely long night. I was about to suggest that we go back inside and see if we could find anything when I heard a whoosh of air and a small thud. Lana's eyes widened as she stared at something behind me. I turned, perhaps too slowly, to see what had happened. Someone, or something, had shut the door. I had left it wide open. I took a step closer to the building, but I couldn't see anyone inside. For a moment, I thought it might have been the wind, but there really wasn't any wind right now. Did you... Did you see someone close that? I asked, pointing back at the door. I... I don't know, she said. It's it's too dark. I just saw it swing shut. Uh, it, it didn't look like wind, though. If the wind hadn't closed the door, that meant someone inside had done it. Brad? Brad's attacker? Or something else? I watched the window, searching for any sign of something moving in there. But I already knew the answer. There was something in there. Something that had been following me since I came here, and probably before. Something I saw in my studio, and in Sandollar House, and in the reflection of the Mrs. Pac-Man machine. I called Crown and explained what happened, and he said he would take care of it. I didn't know if that meant he actually had a plan, or if it just meant that he didn't want me to worry about it. Either way, that night I didn't push back. Lana and I drove around for a few more minutes, searching for any sign of Brad. It wasn't long before Crown called and said we should all just go home. It was really starting to look like Brad had been taken, or possibly killed. With that horribly sobering thought in the back of my mind, I drove back toward the apartment wishing that this whole day would turn out to be just another one of my nightmares. October 2007 I walk up the back steps to the apartment whistling. I just recently learned how to whistle. I took an afternoon last September and locked myself in the bathroom until I finally figured it out. It turns out there really aren't that many ways to keep yourself occupied in this town. You kind of learn to make your own fun. That's what Crown was doing all those years ago with the ghost hunt. He was just making a little fun, and if he woke up some stuff in the process, well, he really couldn't have known that would happen, right? When I reach my apartment and go to unlock the door, I find that I lock it instead. It's not a big thing, but it's enough for me to pause in the doorway listening. It isn't like Lana to leave the door unlocked, even for a few minutes. Everybody else has gone for the night, seeing the latest superhero movie in the next town over. I had been very uninterested in seeing it with them. For the briefest moment, I consider the worst. What if everything is happening again? What if all of the scary stuff from five years ago is back? What if I step out into my apartment and find a bloodbath? I push the door open and walk in on an empty hallway.
Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon. <laughs>